welcome to episode 14 of Be A Bigger Fish. I'm your host, Debbie Aurelius. This truly is a special episode of the series. Now, you'll be aware, if you've heard any of my solo episodes, that my background is in communications and particularly the type of communications that happens inside organisations. It was suggested to me that I take a closer look into the future of my profession. And that seemed a fair challenge since I'm advocating the use of digital media like podcasts to make communications more accessible. Am I also advocating the demise of my own profession? And it's not just technological change. What's the impact of organisational changes such as increased remote and flexible working and the rise of the gig economy on the role of in-house communicators? To help me consider the future of in-house communications, I was lucky enough to get three really well-respected leaders from the industry together. So you'll hear the views of Lindsay Outenbohart, Mike Klein and Martin Flegg as we discuss whether there's a future for internal communications. Let's get straight into the podcast recording. Welcome to this episode of Be A Bigger Fish. This is a really exciting episode. It's a little bit different from the previous episodes we've made because today there are not just two voices in the podcast, there are four. So I'm in really esteemed company today with three excellent communications leaders and I'd like to welcome Mike, Lindsay and Martin to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to invite you to introduce yourselves as well. So, Mike, shall we start with you? Would you kindly introduce yourself to us? Sure. Um, my name is Mike Klein. I'm a 20-plus year veteran internal communications pro um, with a previous experience running political campaigns. Um, I have a consulting practice in the Netherlands called Changing the Terms. And I'm also currently leading the Happio Research Project, looking at the present and future of internal communication. Um, I'm also a U.S.-U.K. citizen, so I'm a keen and active participant in the Brexit debate, and I'm the EMENA chair, Europe, Middle East, North Africa chair of the International Association of Business Communicators, IABC. Yeah, that's super. Thank you, Mike. And also, I'd like to say you're kind of the brains behind this episode today, too, aren't you? It was your suggestion. Well, um, Lindsay, who you're going to meet in a second, is a neighbor of mine in Delft in the Netherlands, and we talk about this a lot. Yeah, excellent. So thank you for the suggestion. It's brilliant. So, um, Lindsay, would you kindly introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. And and indeed, Mike and I have these conversations. We're like, we really need to do something about this conversation. Can we not um, do a podcast? So well done to Mike for contacting you and setting it up. Um, so, yeah, my name's Lindsay Alton Bochart. Um, I married a Dutchman, help, hence the unpronounceable surname. Um, but yes, I've been based in the Netherlands since 2001. I came across here to work in an internal communications management capacity for a, for a, a multinational. I've since worked with a few others. Um, I've spent um, 15 years as an in-house uh, communication leader, um, but for the past three years, I've been independent, uh, following some of the views I'm about to air in this podcast. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Excellent. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, and Martin, would you kindly introduce yourself to? 
Uh, yes, I will. Hi, hi everybody. I'm Martin Flake. Um, I'm a chartered PR professional of CIPR and I'm a communicator with about 20 years experience, a bit like Mike. Um, last sort of 10 years have mostly been in internal communications, um, in-house roles in the public sector, higher education, financial, financial services. Um, I've just moved into independent practice um, with my internal comms consultancy, Gelf IC. And I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I think it's going to be a real interesting debate. Brilliant. Thank you. And I haven't done the maths yet, but I will add up the combined experience that we've got in this conversation because I think that's that's pretty impressive. Um, so thank you again for your time. Well, uh, Lindsay, I'm really intrigued by your introduction and what you said about the fact that this is a, an issue that you and Mike have been debating for a while and that you feel that you'd really like to do something about it. So would you like to start us off and describe what that issue is? Sure. Um, I mean, Mike and I uh, were in a, a blogging group. I mean, I, th I can't remember when it goes back to, but it was a, more than 10 years ago, a blogging group called Comscrum. And um, we found that the same conversations were going round and around and around about why is internal communication um, not um, got a more powerful seat on the board? Um, how can internal communication be more um, impactful? How can people, internal communicators themselves, justify their existence? And those questions are still happening. Um, and I've kind of dropped out of um, some of these online groups that talk about it because it's just getting so boring. Um, and I'm I want to start off with a sort of basic position um, and I'm not lecturing here I just want to make a statement um, to sort of frame up where I'm coming from which is that communications is not one way communications is not where one party is already fixed on what they want the other party to be thinking when they're done with communicating and communication is not something that can be routinely delegated with any degree of effectiveness and I think that point itself is at the core of this debate because in a high proportion of organizations, communications is still where um, leadership messages are being sent out on mass media channels. And to my mind, this can actually be disengaging because audiences are becoming more savvy. They want to interact. They want to influence things. They're being asked to innovate and be more empowered. But yet communications itself is, not, is, is actually preventing them from doing that. So fundamentally, I think what's going wrong here is that in an effort to contribute as much as possible and do a good job as possible, communicators are mistakenly taking responsibility for communicating away from leaders and managers who are quite happy to delegate and, and, and have something else, somebody do something for them that they're not comfortable doing themselves. And they're posting mass messages. Um, this, I'm hugely generalizing here, but if we were to look at the proportion of internal communications that is about mass messaging versus one-to-one -one interactive stuff, um, I think it's neither relevant nor useful, and it's the reason why internal communications cannot go further. Um, so uh, I, I have a view about what should be done about that, but I think I want to leave that problem statement there um, and ask for feedback on it, because this is plain as day in my in my view. Thank you. That's such an interesting perspective. And, and I think what I've taken away from that is that the role of internal communications is actually undoing the good work that it's intending to do, um, partly because I think 
what you described was we're taking away the necessity to communicate from leaders to some extent because we're sort of doing that for them um, and therefore that's not encouraging the sort of two-way dialogue that we really need to see happen inside organisations. Is that a fair summary? Yes, and, and you know, leaders have a difficult job because they're often addressing people in multiple countries of audiences of thousands of people. And leaders are, you know, they, they're very busy. They don't know how to do that. They do need the support of somebody to assist with that. Um, but we've got enough technology around us these days and enough knowledge about humans and the way that humans work from social sciences, from neuroscience, to tell us that making a noise, using mass media channels and delegating responsibility for communications to some very well-intended people is not the way to go about it. And I do indeed believe it's disengaging audiences in many cases. That's a really interesting perspective. So, Mike, I'm really intrigued when you have this conversation. I know you've got um, plenty to say about the future of internal communications. How does this conversation normally play out? What's your stance on this argument? Well, my, my stance on, uh, on it is while I agree that much of the execution of organizational communication shows up as being one unidirectional and um, directive and disembodied, um, the, the role of internal communications um, is at a minimum essential. And in fact, I would actually advocate that internal communications moves further in the opposite direction, that it takes a more active approach, a more proactive approach in you know, working with leaders and working alongside leaders to amplify, to scale, to allow um, greater interactivity on a large scale, as well as on a team scale and on a one-to-one -one scale. Um, I totally understand the emphasis behind Lindsay's argument, which is that a internal communications and particularly the current shape of a lot of IC messaging comes across as disengaging to employees and that um, there are managers and leaders who use the presence of IC research as a convenience to allow themselves to disengage themselves from this process. But you know, certainly from what I'm seeing in my research and what I see just in general about the potential of internal communication, um, I don't think IC should retreat or that organizations should devolve um, responsibility for um, framing and delivering internal communication from IC professionals, whether they're an IC function or dispersed around the business so that they can do it themselves. Most managers and most leaders are not effective communicators. Most mm -hmm. managers and, you know, and, and to a certain extent leaders are really good technical specialists who've been promoted into their positions largely on the basis of their technical expertise rather than on their leadership skills or their ability to communicate. So, um, I agree that there's an issue, but I think that internal communications can be part of the solution rather than the cause of the problem. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, th I think that's, that's quite an interesting stance to take actually. So recognizing a lot of the symptoms um, that Lindsay is describing, but maybe taking a different view on how to resolve that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So whilst I'm tempted to allow Lindsay to respond, I think I'd quite like to ask Martin for your perspective. And Martin, I know this is a topic that you've blogged about personally also and you know about this kind of echo chamber that seems to occur where people are asking the same questions and surfacing the same challenges over and over again so what's your perspective on um, Lindsay's position? Yeah I, I, I completely agree with with, with with quite a lot of it actually I think these circular discussions that we seem to be trapped in as a profession at the moment aren't helpful in terms of moving us forward and and addressing the challenges of the future um you know we all know what those discussions are about trusted advisor seat at the table measurements you know all the all the old chestnuts that we that we debate endlessly and a little bit like lindsay you know i i am at the point of actually switching off from some of those debates because i just find that they're not productive um the concept of taking responsibility from away from leaders yes again partly identify with that um as a as a as an internal comms person i deal with leadership every day um i get um, a lot of tacit buy-in to what i propose to them but sometimes there isn't the follow-through on that and that's because um they see me as the uh, the person with the monkey on the back to actually take all their communication problems away from them and actually do the job for them. So yeah, identify with that as well. Um, I think the comms experience on the inside of organisations for employees is not the same as it is um, on the outside. On the outside, we live in a rich world of rich media, two-way discussion, uh, mediated across social media platforms. Uh, we have devices in our pockets that enable us to communicate with virtually anybody around the world. That technology often isn't replicated uh, very effectively inside organisations, which makes that two-way uh, discourse quite difficult. Um, being more proactive to create interactivity, absolutely. But I don't think that's just interactivity between the audience in an organisation, I think it's interactivity between the different parts of the organisation. I think internal communications has a huge role to play in that, and that's actually part of our future. Um, that's our bigger role going forward. Okay, interesting. Thank you very much. And and I guess Lindsay, to um, to bring you back to the conversation, I think we can all completely empathise with the the observations that you're making. And it sounds like both Mike and Martin concur with that, but they both see the resolution to that as still lying within the remit of an internal communications role. Um, do you agree with that? Or do you feel that it's time for internal communications to fade away and for those skills to be passed back into line management effectively? Yeah, no, I'm glad we do not completely agree. Otherwise, there wouldn't be much of a debate. That's <laughs> true. I mean, it's a little bit like uh, the environment. You know, there was some some very young person I remember hearing standing up at Davos and sort of saying, look, the environment is a really serious problem and I want you leaders to behave like your house is on fire. I mean, I would go much further than, oh, well, you know, this is kind of, well, leaders are asking us to take responsibility and you know, I guess we have to communicate because there aren't other ways of doing it. Um, you know, we have to communicate using 
uh, mass media channels. I'm not saying that what Mike and Martin are talking about isn't a reality. It's just that I think internal communications is actually demeaning itself and pushing itself down a hole if it doesn't really just change the way it talks about everything um, and 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 starts to behave in a way that's more a fit for purpose and akin with what businesses need so that so that they can genuinely add value. Um, it's more, it's, it, there's, there's multiple stakeholders in this, of course, because if we're talking about roles and responsibilities, uh, we're talking about HR as well. We're talking about how does the HR community appreciate communications? There's always been this fight between internal comms and HR. And it's probably, again, because internal comms, it's like it's at a party, but it's in the wrong room. Um, it's, it's taking, it's really trying its best. And there's some extremely interesting and fascinating and advanced debates going on at the strategic level of internal comms. But when it comes to implementation of comms, ultimately, I think, um, you know, we need to make sure of ways, make sure that um, two-level communication ways and means are being used and that we dial right down on the use of mass media to communicate because it's one way uh, and, and it's making noise that isn't helpful. So I suppose I'm saying that if channel-based communications is allocated for factual, non-negotiable, need-to-know news items only, just supposing an organisation decided to do that and said, we're going to take the noise right down and we're just going to publish news so that if people need to know something, they know where to find it. And then internal communicators take much more of a facilitative role in supporting the business through leaders and managers, because then they're not taking a responsibility that's fundamentally not theirs to take. Um, now, they can't just do that. I mean, as, as, um, uh, as Martin said, I mean, this is, there are leaders asking people to take responsibilities who are paying their paycheck, uh, because the leaders don't want to do it themselves. But this is the piece, I think, that internal communicators ought to be talking about in terms of educating their stakeholders about where, where does the role sit best? And a facilitative role is a, still an extremely important and very powerful role. Um, but we want to move away from this top-down, one-way position that, that, that is just destroying internal comms as far as I can see. Um, so, you know, if you, if you look at um, the fact that, that communications on a, on a mass, mass media basis undermines actually um, the organization because it it perpetuates the top-down thinking that holds organizations back in terms of complexity it doesn't allow people to interact it doesn't allow people to shape the message because it's already been printed in black and white and it takes over a tone that's kind of been approved by 36 different kinds of people that doesn't really relate to anyone and the message is so generalized it doesn't it's not relevant to specific teams mm. let's just look at that from the outside and say okay this has got to stop um, let's have something that's much more meaningful and much more relevant. Um, and we can take a load of costs down and put it somewhere else. I understand a lot of what you're saying about the, the top-down tone of much of what is communicated through organizational channels. But I think there's a real, we've really got three different pieces of this. One is the contextual communication, the, the, the tone the specifics, the non-negotiables, the principles, the values to a certain extent, even though values are becoming less and less in vogue, as being kind of the, the non-negotiable corporate 
central channels. And I talk about this in some of my writing about centrality versus the centralization of trying to centralize all organizational communication under the internal comms umbrella. So I get what you're saying and agree with it to a certain extent, but I disagree that the alternative is simply facilitating and empowering managers and leaders to, to drive communication because managers and management and leadership is just as much part of the top-down um, approach as mass communication. It's one form of one manifestation of hierarchy versus another manifestation of hierarchy. Hierarchy is important, but it's decreasingly important. And one of the things that internal comms can do, and this is something that Martin pointed out that I am an enthusiastic champion of, is for internal comms to take a much greater role in identifying and communicating through organizational influencers, through individuals who select themselves as advocates, along with the formal representation of the organizational authority through its management, what I call the ambassadorial role. And I mean, what I think I see should be doing more of is a lot more focus on identifying, connecting, and mobilizing influencers and advocates and cross-fertilizing these people across functions, geographies, and generations. Um, the management side is important, but I think it will become less and less important. And I think if anything, if, if internal comms really wants to add value, then we need to think about how can we help organizations manage themselves more effectively without having to spend so much money on management. If you think internal comms is expensive, look at how much management costs. And just jump in again. I mean, in terms of mobilizing people and using influence to communicate within the organization, that is the kind of thing that I'm talking about in terms of taking a facilitative approach. But when we're talking about predetermining messages, trying to get them sent out through those people as channels. That's where I have a problem because the entire point about an empowered organization, so that is my, where I'm fundamentally coming from, is that the, the message is can be influenced by people. And, and part of the, the, the problem that I've got is that internal communicators feel that they have a message that people need to get. And that's the bit about communication that's predetermined that there should be an outcome of this communication exercise that one party has already um, sort of arrived at in their own mind before they've even spoken to somebody else. So if the influencers that you're talking about are getting a dialogue going in the organization to build up a shared understanding of the context of the organization and what everyone's trying to do and why and how and everything, great. But if those influencers are being used basically as mouthpieces for the, for the top level messaging, then we're still part of the same, it's still part of the same problem. So the problem is, A, what's the responsibility of communicators? And B, how is the how are the communications being influenced by employees who, in, who arguably can take a role to help shape the future of the company? Uh, do you think that perhaps some of the contributing factor of that is this concept of strategic narrative and an idea of what the organisation is, what its purpose is, where it's going and that sort of thing is paramount and we should be working really hard to make sure that everyone in the organisation understands that and connects with that. Lindsay, do you think that that has fed into that phenomenon you're identifying that there's only one message? And Well, I think the strategic narrative is an excellent starting point because let's face it, if somebody comes into the organization they 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 need to learn what 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 context other people think already exists um, and particularly where the people who determine strategy think this exists 
So let's not pretend that everybody, that it's a democracy. Um, but a narrative is a starting point because things are complex and things are changing. Mm. And if nobody's got a, a, a chance to influence that message according to the way that they're seeing it and the reality that they're experiencing, then they're just being told what to do. And there is no empowerment. So um, there's, there's, there's got to be an initiation and there's got to be a starting point. But people make sense of their reality according to language and their experiences and their people around them and they have to have a sense of reality and if they don't get a clear reality they'll make it up so um, managing that or at least let's not say managing let's say facilitating that um, is an excellent role for somebody to have but it doesn't mean that they own the message or determine the message or have people think something it means that they are facilitating um, a conversation I think um, the, the concept of organisational narrative is a really interesting one and it's a tool that I've used in change situations in, in when I've been doing sort of change comps for big change programmes and transformation programmes in organisations. Um, I think that the, the, the beginnings of the narrative often start with the leadership team. It's the interpretation uh, lower down the organisation that's the more powerful part. Uh, we talk a lot about storytelling in internal comms um, and it's about about people telling the stories that bring that narrative to life. Um, so I think that there is there is a, an opportunity for people to craft their own version of that narrative. Um, if there's a core one put in place in the first place, let's just examine some of the cruel realities that are working in internal comms, because there are lots of practicalities here that, and I, I just want to kind of examine some of the things that kind of stop us from moving into that space that. Lindsay and Mike are talking about, which is that more uh, facilitative space where we don't engage in just top-down tell all the time and where we're uh, getting other people to communicate uh, for us in a quite natural way. Um, you know, there are some career artists in, in Intel comms. What, you know, I, I love the concept of, of, of being, at, being at a party but in the wrong room. I totally identify with that. Um, sometimes the action's happening elsewhere in the organisation and as an internal communicator you might be attached to something else such as a marketing team um, or something like that and you're just being dragged along by their agenda. Uh, that's one of the that's one of the cruel realities of working in internal comms and it stops you moving into that space where you're able to influence that bigger agenda. Um, channel proliferation is another one. Um, I've just been doing a couple of internal comms audits and um, you know, coming across numbers of channels, anything up to forty or fifty organisations that have been that are that the teams are trying to communicate with people uh, through, um, and that's not to mention things like shadow comms, so people doing uh, their own thing on things like WhatsApp and that type of thing. So channel proliferation, um, you know, that's a real problem for us, um, and the, the concept of centrality, which Mike mentions, I think is a really great concept, and it's one that I've kind of thought quite a bit about since I've read, uh, read some of his work on that. And I think it's um, something that we can really, really use um, to help us uh, thin out the channels in organisation. The other cruel reality is, is just the investment in IC, um, in internal comms teams in organisations. That stops us again from having the really great channels in organisations that help us to communicate in the way that Lindsay's talking about. Um, and also be the ability to listen um, and enable enable people in organisations to shape the message, because organisations are often listening organisations. They don't have the tools, they don't have the processes, they don't have the wherewithal to do that listening, and, and Intel Comms suffers as a result of that.
That's quite a, a lengthy list of challenges, Martin. Thank you for surfacing all those. And and interesting amongst that was the fact that you said that you really like Mike's view on centrality. Mike, I wonder if you would like to give us um, like a thumbnail sketch of, of what that view is and how you think that plays in this conversation. Well, I think it's actually key to getting to an appropriate resolution of the debate that we're talking about, which is that at the end of the day, organizations have to have their narrative, their non-negotiables, and their context um, be scalable, you know, consistent and scalable. Um, that there has to be certain, you know, language that's used that's consistent, that certain messaging that's consistent, a story that other stories can live within. But the, those local stories, those team stories, ultimately need to be consistent with an organizational story and something has to set that out. Um, and so you need to have enough, you know, a small enough port portfolio of channels and tools that allows for that um, without having the organization trying to control 40, 50, 100, 1,000 channels um, you know, at various levels. I mean, one of the biggest problems that I've seen as an internal communicator is that the number of stakeholders who think that every employee needs to get their unfiltered, comprehensive message about, you know, things like, you know, third-party due diligence, for instance. Um, I was at a company where, like, they wanted to have third-party due diligence playing cards passed out to all the employees so that everybody knew about third-party due diligence. And it's like, that's important to a small group of people that deals with it. But if you've got a hundred different groups and if you've got all of these groups coming to internal comms and demanding um, that, that, that I see services, you know, not only takes over their communication responsibility, as Lindsay says, but also has to deliver it through, you know, one of a hundred or 50 different channels, as Martin says, um, you know, that you've got a, a prescription for chaos. But I think to bring the chaos under control is you accept that people are going to communicate outside of the central platform, but that the central platform is reserved for that which is important, not just news, but also context setting. Then, you know, then you create an environment in which managers, leaders, and peer influencers can communicate effectively within their context. It's just to build on that really, and, and, and Mike's um, pointing out that, you know, Intel communicators are often on the on the end of the shopping list of a variety of stakeholders in the organization who think that their stuff is the most important and everybody needs to know about it. Um, I often push back on that and I say, well, what's your objective? Uh, just to try and thin some of that out. And they often come back to me and say, we want to raise, we want to raise awareness. Um, awareness gets you nothing, really. Exactly. Awareness gets you nothing. You know, I, I can be aware that, you know, the famous burger chain has the best burger in the world and it's cheap and it's available now, but unless I go buy the burger, the awareness that I've got of that of that offer um, means nothing. And that's often an analogy I use uh, with stakeholders in, inside organisations to try and get them to understand that. Um, and you really have to push back on, on objectives and make sure there's a clear reason for communicating something. That's one way of thinning it out. Um, to go back to Mike's point about centrality and having just a handful of really trusted channels that are really effective, 
that those sort of messages with clear objectives go down to me um, is, is a way forward. But I think those channels need to be two-way channels. So there needs to be an element of feedback in there so that the organisation can listen to sentiment and feedback about those messages, check understanding, check whether people have done, done what they need to do to address the objective. Um, and then you're, then you're kind of given the assurance that communication is actually making some kind of difference. I think that's a really interesting point, Martin, about, you know, creating two-way channels. And I think I'd, I'd quite like to ask you about this, Lindsay. I think that's one of the challenges that managers are afraid of. You know, it's almost like opening the floodgates. If you get so much dialogue that you just spend all day processing the dialogue, you know, how is that actually helping the business? Do you have any views on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we've sort of changed the subject um, a bit because we're now talking about how to be better communicators in the existing paradigm. Um, and I'm sure, and it's, I know from my own experience, it's a real struggle trying to be an effective communicator the way that everything's set up as it is in general. Um, for example, you know, effective feedback isn't really channel-based anyway. I would argue that, that the amount of successful feedback gathered by channels, unless it's a live streaming thing with the CEO that everybody's involved in, uh, is just failing. We're, this topic of this podcast, I think, is about the future of internal communicators. And if we were in, if we were in communication director roles, or if we were talking to people in HR director roles, or people in the C-suite about the future of communication, what would we say? And it wouldn't be how do we manage practical stuff in the existing situation. Um, so, I mean, I agree with the way that Mike and Martin are having to handle their current reality. But um, I'm arguing for a different reality for communicators because communicators are still gonna be the last people who are asked their opinion of stuff or treated as the mailbox or all of the other issues that communicators don't like being um, with the setup the way it is. Um, there's one comment um, that Mike made that I'd like to address about the capability of leaders and managers. Um, and I, I, I'd like to challenge that because while there are a lot of leaders and managers that were promoted into their positions because of the way that they can deal with the discipline in which they're managing um, and how good they are at that, I don't think people, educated, experienced, competent people are necessarily not good at communications. It's that they're not given the right tools and questions and processes under which to manage communication because their own, they're not very um, objective themselves. They have their own subjective opinions for the context. They have their own subjective opinions for what's happening and they're under a lot of pressure. But we generally shy away from working with leaders and managers and encourage them to do the communications that I think should be part of the future of internal communications. Um, because it's, it's um, you know, we have to engage with them and we have to, to, to talk with them about um, how to do that and address, address necessarily hundreds at a time. Um, so, you know, let's talk about where internal communicators should be in the future um, and, and how that, and how the future, what the future should look like um, um, as our main topic, I think. Okay, no, that's a that it's really interesting, and I think really encouraging that you've reframed the debate as one about the future role of internal communicators, because that's actually 
a really nice complement to the research I've been doing on the future of internal communication as a discipline within the business world. I think the, I, th- I see two alternative futures for internal communicators emerging out of this conversation. Do we focus on helping leaders be better communicators, leaders and managers be better communicators, or do we focus on helping organizations perform more efficiently and effectively? And those are two different paradigms. Yes, there's crossover between it. But the question is, should communication and organization be a function of leadership and management, or can it be something that actually you know, helps redefine how organizations operate and ideally um, devolve some of the power away from management and towards the employee. Right. So my view would be do A and you get B. So if you do work more with empowering leaders and managers to communicate more effectively with the people they're responsible for leading and managing, that your organization is going to be more effective. So that, that's my position fundamentally. Thanks for dragging us back to the point, Lindsay. We do tend to get a bit, bit passionate about our problems sometimes. Um, I suppose, I suppose, in articulating those, those kind of what's stopping us, kind of, kind of issues. You know, I'm sort of trying to work out how we get to this future that you've described, where we don't have to engage in any of that, any of that top-down tell stuff, um, and how we actually develop the capabilities of leaders and managers so we can actually intercoms can retreat from that space and move into and move into something that's actually much more meaningful for the future which is which is about helping organizations be less dysfunctional if i think about how my roles changed over the 20 years in, that i've worked in internal comms you know the beginning you know when i was a more sort of junior Junior comms professional was 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 around crafting messages, getting stuff out, being being the being the post office, that sort of thing. To where I am now, where I'm actually more of a connector, and my position in the organisation means that I have a very broad view of what's going on. Perhaps one of the broadest views in an organisation that there can be. And I'm you know every day I'm connecting different parts of the organisation to say, yeah, you want to you want to do this particular project whatever that might be in hr but do you know that it have got this thing going on at the moment or there's this thing going on in legal or indeed there's something happening outside the organization that's going to actually influence what you're trying to do um, or also or, or maybe affect the timing of when you want to do it so i am a connector you know i'm not a broadcaster i am a connector and that's the future role i think of internal communicators how we get there to that nirvana is a is a is a, is a going to be an interesting journey because there are these roadblocks in our place in place at the moment that are, that are going to stop us getting there, um, and, and one of those big road roadblocks I think is is just fundamentally the opinion of what internal comms is for in organisations and that the, the the understanding that is held by leadership teams, middle managers, HR, marketing, corporate comms, all those things. So you know maybe we just need to talk about how we can get to the place that you're that you think is the future of internal comms ultimately the the way that managers and leaders understand their responsibilities as communicators is key because if they don't understand themselves the opportunities that communication can afford them and how they could be supported to deliver on that it it, again it's part of it's a two-way thing part of the work that i'm involved in doing at the moment is giving leaders and managers a process 
by which they ask open questions to staff about how those how people are perceiving their context and how they perceive the behaviors in their context so that they know how to engage with them. So it's almost like a backwards communication process. I wouldn't say this is the total solution or anything, but if you give leaders and managers a process by which they can engage with staff and find and get gather data, if you like, from staff, they have more insight about then how to lead staff and how to close gaps and how to make a larger strategy more relevant and how to have the conversations that are needed. And I think on a higher level, if you give managers a process that also enables them to connect better um, vertically, then that connector piece that you're talking about, Martin, they'll, they'll be doing that for themselves. Because if there's anything relevant to their performance that's happening in another, in another team, then there needs to be a way for them to connect with that themselves rather than have um, somebody in the middle at doing that on an ad hoc basis. So I think that with technology today, there are, the ground is open for not necessarily the SharePoints and the Yammers, which help people to connect and help people to share information, but don't necessarily help people to align and don't necessarily close, um, close gaps there about uh, uh, how people perceive and behave things. But there's, there's an opportunity open to look at the business in terms of how are leaders, what questions are leaders and managers asking? What data are they gathering? And how is that being filtered through the organization so that people can be aware of um, their own context with, in, in relation to other people's? And then where do they get their news from and their overarching story from that that data um, can contribute to? So there's a new, there's, I think there's a new way of looking at communications that fundamentally has an appreciation of the role of communicators with managers and leaders that they first need to be able to appreciate. And it would almost take an, an HR director at the top of an organization to uh, pioneer this, to, to, to make it live and show how it could be done. Okay, um, um, I'd like to ask Mike a question actually about something you said earlier, which was about the sort of um, the decline of hierarchy, that hierarchy is still important, but its importance is declining. In the light of that, is it right that we focus all our efforts on leaders and managers, or should we be focusing our efforts on the whole organisation and improving communication capabilities sort of across the piece? As, as the economists would say, it depends. I mean, there are organizations where the culture and the nature of the work is such that it makes sense to double down on the leadership and management structure. But I don't think that that's ultimately the wave of the future in a lot of industries and certainly the more dynamic industries. Um, what I think organizations need to do is really look at what they're trying to do, what they're purposes, what their mission is, and what are the non-negotiable principles that are going to guide them in the pursuit of that vision and mission. And once you've done that, then you look at organizational structure, then you look at communications philosophy, and then you look at the platforms. I mean, what I'm thinking that internal communications should do right now in, this, in the environment that we're talking about is really four things. One, illustrate illustrate the, the principles and practices that are, that are core to the organization, illustrate the context. Second, automate the tasks in the platform so that the IC professionals aren't stuck doing them and that we don't saddle them to the managers and the leaders either, that which could be automated. 
um, not necessarily on a mass scale, could be on a local scale as well, but we need to make life easier. So then we can innovate processes, tactics, and approaches that are appropriate for messages and activities, and then integrate people, data, messages in a consistent and organizationally appropriate way. Sometimes that'll focus on, on leaders and managers, but all the time it should focus on mission, principles, and the processes and tactics to get there. That's, that's a really helpful start point, actually, for, to frame thoughts around, and, and thank you for sharing that. I literally just made it up as we were sitting here. <laughs> It's it's captured forever now, so excellent. It's, it's a thing. It's a thing. So, and I guess coming back to the point that you were making, Lindsay, about um, encouraging managers and leaders to understand what their role is as communicators and how to deliver against that. Do you see the internal communications role as becoming more of an educative role than a kind of broadcast role? Or um, well, I mean, ultimately, I don't think it would be the role of the communicator to define the role of the leader and the manager. Um, but um, I think there are some quite distinct parts to where internal comms and um, leaders and managers sort of uh, cross over or touch, if you like. Um, what Mike's talking about, um, the non-negotiables are crucial, you know, this, the purpose. What, are, what is the role of the organization in the world? What are the, what are the main objectives for everyone? What are the shared goals? That's the sort of framing piece that I think um, leaders and managers need to be able to take care of themselves and if they need materials if they need phraseology help if they need something else to help make it relevant they should be able to draw on on, on some professional support for that yeah um, at the same time there is a piece around what i'm calling alignment which is how people make sense of things for themselves in a way that is complementary um, to their teammates at the level to which it's relevant to them and you can't tell people to align. So you can't kind of have a manager go in and tell people, all right, here's our purpose and our goal and objectives. Now I want you to all align your, yourselves and be compatible with each other to deliver on that because that alignment piece has to be done with individuals. And that's why I keep coming back to a facilitation role here. And there's a really big role for a communicator to go in and help people understand how their personal and their, how their team context is relevant to the bigger picture and how as people they, are, they interact as a team to, to get over the challenge where they have to integrate together and work compatibly to deliver. Hmm. And there's a hell of a lot about performance in organizations being undermined because people are, not simply, are simply not aligned and they're simply not taking actions and decisions in the right way because they're just so busy off on their own tracks um, that... Um, they, they haven't got the chance and they can't see the gaps. So that there's, an, there's, there's a huge role there, a professional role there for the internal communicator. And then the wider organisation, so this is the third and final piece, um, has a role to enable people to be effective. And a lot of that is about communications. Mm. It's about stake, stakeholders being responsive. The number of times I've sat in teams and apparently there are champions or stakeholders who are trying to advance the, the, the goals who you just don't hear from and they they you know they're difficult to get hold of they're difficult to get meeting with they're not really participating they've just got a name on a on a steering committee or something um that's a that's a communications role that belongs with that person um that an, and an organization and the people in it are responsible for fulfilling so you know there's 
clarity on roles and the role of the communicator as facilitator, I still feel is, is the way forward um, and how the facilitator would engage with the leaders and managers to support them in effective implementation of a given strategy. You've, you've identified a very interesting issue here around misalignment of people within, within organizations. I mean, one of the things that I encounter fairly frequently, in fact, I was in a client conversation where it came up the other day, is the concept of the frozen middle, the unwillingness of middle managers and particularly senior middle managers to align. And that, you know, you have, as long as you have senior middle managers trying to protect their status and their positions and protect their, their team's current way of working against changes in the organization, um, the idea of devolving responsibility for organizational communication and alignment in any way to, um, in any meaningful way to this level of management is is questionable at best. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the organizational friction, a lot of the organizational resistance is not employee driven, it's manager. Right. So let's have employees rate their managers and their stakeholders for how effective they're being at supporting their shared goals. That, That's a great idea. I mean, That's well, a fantastic idea. Why not empower people to say, okay, the, these are the organization goals, these are the team goals, here are all the people responsible um, for helping to support the delivery of that. Let's rate those people. Let's kick out those people who are being communicationally objectionable and blocking the performance of the organization. Ultimately, it comes down to organizational performance. So, I, I, I did wonder when middle managers were going to kind yeah. of kind of emerge as an issue because I did a piece of research on this quite a few years ago now, and actually the, the situation's changed since since I did that. And I think at the time. Where did the research some of the some of the narrative in in some other papers was around the, the middle being being a bit mushy? So it was the mushy middle or the permafrost layer, which I think is what Mike which which is what Mike's trying to get at, um, where where stuff doesn't penetrate uh, much below that level in organisations. Um, on the flip side, um, some of what I found in, in that research was actually middle managers are great connectors. Um, it's the way they get stuff done in organisations. So um, they're probably masters of being able to go off process because they have the relationships in the organisation. So I think middle managers do have some advantages, particularly to Lindsay's point about about being the um, the connectors across an organisation, which I think we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, I'm I'm just intrigued um, as to how. How you would operationalize some of these some of these ideas that, that we're discussing? So, so how would you um, help managers in the first place to have that have that knowledge to be able to interact in the way that Lindsay's talking about with their with their people with their teams? Um, I think a lot of internal communicators would have um, a problem with with that they should be in, in some kind of facilitative role in that in that process because um, I don't know it's it's almost you know it's accepted mythology in telecoms that the managers are translators um, and they're best placed to do that because they're closest to their people so I'm just interested to hear how how you would operationalize some of these ideas so if we're going to rate managers how would you do that 
um, and what side, what sort of issues would that raise inside organisations? This is just off the top of my head, but what would it look like if you gave managers half a piece of A4 paper with the givens that Mike's talking about? The purpose um, the, the, of the organisation, um, its core objectives and how it sees its context in the world, uh, its place in the world, um, and it's the, the factors in its broader context. You gave that to every manager in an email and you asked them to, to, to circulate it to their staff and ask five questions around it, which is, how does this relate to us? What is happening in the organization that is affecting our ability to um, link to this? Um, how well are we already linked to it? And what could we do differently to link to it better? For example, you know, I mean, some of these things sound like, uh, um, maybe it's too simplistic, but I'm, I'm, that would go way better than having um, some text posted in different ways and different platforms that, that people really aren't reading. I agree with you, Lindsay. I think simple solutions are often the easiest. It's it's reframing your thoughts that's the hard part, I think. I think if you if you keep the solution simple, it's much, much more easy to operationalize. And and to answer your question, myself, Martin, I've actually seen an, an award-winning entry to industry awards that exactly tackled that topic of measuring managers. So the, the award was allocated, I think, because this organization had asked team members to rate their manager in terms of how good was their relationship with their manager and they had similarly matched that against net promoter score from customers and they'd managed to show a direct correlation so in the teams where the teams were really happy with their relationship with their manager they had the highest customer satisfaction scores so it was kind of unequivocal for them that that relationship building activity was paramount in a line manager's role so it was all about those you know communication skills to build relationships and if i might just add something on i mean i think that sounds fascinating i haven't heard of that and especially that correlation there um but i was just doing a bit of um kind of um digging through some of the research that i've got and there's something from um larkin and larkin from 25 years ago in 1994 that say that you know, research indicates a limit to the value of broadcasting in internal communications and without feedback loops and harnessing involvement and mediation skills of frontline supervisor um, and team leaders, broadcasting tends to be effective more at influencing senior and middle managers rather than frontline employees. And I think what I'm getting, what I was getting really quite frustrated about and sad about is that because internal communications is almost being put in a position where it cannot win, there's a lot of pain in the internal communications profession, and it's not necessarily as, and it's not um, enabling the best benefits to come out of all of the skills that internal communications have got to offer. Um, so, in terms of moving to that model, it takes senior leaders. We are in a top-down environment, um, obviously. And we, that probably isn't going to stop too much, even though things might get a bit flatter. But it will take senior leaders and it will take internal communicators talking about wanting to shift the responsibility of communicators to start to change the game rather than internal communicators mm. becoming more protective and wanting more power and wanting more budget and complaining because they haven't got it. I think, I, you know, the, 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 the example that you gave, Debbie, is quite quite interesting and actually if I think back to when I did that research on middle managers there was a good example from Volvo um, where they actually made the link between uh, middle managers communicative performance 
and the performance of teams and the performance of the organisation. So I think it's a it's an idea that's been out there for a while. Um, I think the tricky thing is is actually how you how you practically implement that in organisations. Um, that, that's that's the big hurdle. It's interesting you say that, Martin, because it's brought us all the way back round to the beginning of the conversation where Lindsay said that there were all these debates and topics about what's holding internal communications back that just seem to have been going on and on for 10 years. So I guess, you know, we've got to the point of, of saying we need to break that mould. And how can we do that? If, if you were going to um, speak to a professional communicator and say, here are the couple of things you can do now to start changing that conversation and resetting, recalibrating. So we're in that new paradigm. Mike, I know you've given us your four points, which is fantastic, but did you have anything that you'd like to say as a kind of summary to that? Well, I think the, the, the choice that we need to make as internal communicators is really about where do we fit into the conversation about the role of communication in the organization? Um, you know, are we just simply here to execute it? Are we here to facilitate it? Are we here to advise and um, propose to leadership about how to improve it? Um, are we here to um, improve the ability of leaders to lead and managers to manage? Or are we to make management less necessary and less intrusive? I mean, we actually have a wider range of options than just the linear conversation about when are we gonna get our seat at the table and how do we prove our value? And the good news is that there are people coming into the field, there are people who are willing to have braver conversations, not just with, um, with leaders, but also with each other. I mean, I think one of the things that we've seen in internal communication in the last year is that the quality of the thought leadership and the quality of the communication within the field has improved dramatically, largely as a result of some investment by mainly by vendors who recognize that um, there's no space in the field for their products unless the field moves forward. Um, you know, we're, we're actually in a better space, but I think we need to make a decision. Are we here to, to help leaders and managers manage? Are we help, here to help organizations grow and thrive? And they're not incompatible, but they're two very different approaches. I think there's something about um, having the bravery to start to have those sorts of conversations. I think I've blogged in some of my blogs around um, how I think I get out of jail card in internal comms is actually being a more professional profession. That means having some barriers to entry, um, you know, having some encouraging people to take qualification level, you know, postgraduate um, sort of qualifications. And actually, you know, even if you don't want to do formal studies, it's just actually engaging some kind of continuous professional development because it shocks me how few internal communicators actually do any of that. Um, and until we start to move ourselves into that more professional space, I don't think we're capable of having those conversations, frankly. So that, for me, is the first step let's get professional first. That will give us the grist to our mill to be able to have the sort of conversations that Mike's talking about. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And, and Lindsay, I guess I'd like to ask you the same thing, really, as an as a almost summative statement. Ultimately, nothing's going to change the game if you're not talking to a person in power. So I think commu professional communicators could send a copy of this, um, a link to this podcast, to 
a communication director and an HR director, for example. And if they want to change the game, and if they want to find out ideas about ways of doing things differently, and they have the power to do it, and they have a willing CEO who's also sick of overload of channels that people seem to be ignoring, that those are the people who can change the game. I think that's a great idea. And I'd, I'd encourage all internal communicators to share what we've been talking about today. Uh, we do live in an echo chamber, uh, or even a walled garden sometimes. Um, we discuss these issues amongst ourselves, but we find it quite difficult to um, engage the people around us in other professions and leaders and CEOs to um, actually understand our pain and how they can help us move forward to a more effective future. And how we, and how we can move, help them move forward to a more effective future. Absolutely. Well, it just remains for me then to say a massive thank you. I've enjoyed this conversation so much and I genuinely think it's going to bring so much benefit to the communications community and I would wholeheartedly support the call to share this with your senior leaders, share it with anybody who needs to hear about the, the passion that uh, resides in this community to really make a difference for people in organisations and for organisations. So thanks very much for sharing that today. Thank you very much. Super, thank you. Look forward to the link. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. I'd like to say another huge thank you to Lindsay, Mike and Martin for sharing all of that fascinating insight and for debating that topic in such a constructive way. I really enjoyed the conversation and I made literally loads and loads of notes so there are plenty of cues for me to go away and explore a little bit further. Thank you so much for listening to us debate that topic. I really hope that you gained something from that and it's inspired you to think about the future of your profession too. I know all four of us would be delighted to continue that debate with you, so feel welcome to post a comment or a response to us either on any of our social media channels or through my website, which you can access at beabiggerfish.net. The show notes for this episode, which are on the website, contain links and contacts for all three of my guests today. And I really hope you'll take the time to look up some of those blogs that we referenced. They really are interesting reads. Stay tuned to Be A Bigger Fish. We've got some more exciting episodes coming up before we draw to the end of season one. And I'm really glad you're listening to us. So thank you so much. See you soon.